Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is on two movies, Bad Times at the El Royale and Halloween. First, I'm going to be joined by my friends Adam and Lichtenstein and Caleb Mead to talk about Halloween. They joined me on the 8th grade podcast and uh, they're back with me for this. And then I'm going to be joined by my old friend Joe Morgan to talk about Bad Times at the El Royale. First, I'm going to bring on Adam and Kayla. Guys, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having us. Thanks. So you guys are joining me to talk about Halloween, which is uh, obviously a pretty big deal as a franchise. But the ironic part about this movie is that it uh, skips over what – or it kind of just throws out four movies worth of content and picks Please. up as a sequel from John Carpenter's 1978 original where the character played by Jamie Lee Curtis, Laurie Strode, is – 40 years later, we're kind of in real time, is recovering from the events of the first movie when Michael Myers uh, killed five people before she was able to kind of help put a stop to it. And it picks up and follows her as she's still recovering from a lot of that trauma, is still living in Haddonfield inexplicably, um, and and dealing with a lot of the problems that her trauma has caused her family who still lives in the area. She has a daughter and a granddaughter and um, uh, a son-in-law and obviously has had a very strained relationship with them and this is all of course taking place the day before the day of halloween which also happens to be when michael myers is getting transported from the psych ward that he's at i guess to another prison i think is uh what they imply and uh wouldn't you know he uh he escapes the bus and halloween type things ensue so uh, so, uh adam uh, what do you say you, you uh you didn't pick it up for a second I said, yeah, some wacky hijinks. Yeah, that, that, that's that, that's one way to put it. But uh, so, guys, I want to. I'm glad you were able to do this with me because you guys are just like bigger horror fans in general than I am. I've come to uh, respect and appreciate and embrace the genre a little more since I've been doing the movie podcasting thing. Because I'm like, if I want people to take my movie opinion seriously, I can't just write off an entire genre. So I've done a better job of getting to it. But like, I feel like I've embraced some different movies that like get labeled as horror in marketing, but they aren't like traditional horror kind of like this and i've always kind of said oh i don't like slasher movies but it's like this is kind of like the genesis of this movie is the best slasher movie of all time so i need to like buck up and actually try and get into it and i and i watched the first halloween movie for the i i i I think i'd seen a lot of them when i was like really little probably too little and had just kind of like forgotten about them and watched some other slasher movies that were inferior after that and that's probably what soured me on it so i watched the original again a couple days ago and that was all i did because i knew how this one was going to work where it's just going to skip forward 40 years so i want to ask you guys though before we really get into it like what's your relationship as big horror fans uh with the halloween franchise and uh how well did you know all these other past movies and what were your thoughts when you heard how they were going to reboot it and cut out all the the stuff in between this way uh well i've seen i've seen the original halloween the first one i don't know how many times it's in my my top three it's on my mount rushmore of uh horror movies oh wow which so i, I love the original uh the sequels i've only seen a, I, I haven't seen in a long time i've only seen them a couple times uh the second one is okay and then all the rest of them are are very bad <laughs> that's, what, that's, what, that's what i've heard yeah, so I wasn't too upset when they were when they said that they were gonna that their plan was to throw out all the sequels and just basically start from you know start from scratch after the events of the first movie. So I was actually really excited for it because I'm like, okay, you know, you have a new another go with this. Let's see what you do with it. And I was I was really excited to see what they did with it. What about you, Kayla? Uh, what, what what's your relationship with these movies? Um, I just I enjoy movies. I enjoy watching movies. I try not to overthink when it comes to horror films because then i'm like 
okay, he's walking and she's sprinting. Why is he catching up? And then I get kind of stuck on that. Um, personally, that's how I am. Like Nightmare on Elm Street, the whole time I'm like, why are you grabbing a spoon? Like, grab a knife. Come on, use your brain. Um, personally. <laughs> when I saw they were rebooting this, I was like, skeptical because I'm like, okay, remakes, you know, continuations 20, 30, 40 years later, whatever, you know, can either be absolutely incredible or can be absolute garbage. Very true. And I would say, I know, I know Adam has some pretty strong opinions one way on this, and I would say I'm, uh, I'm pretty mixed. And I would say that's because I think the movie is uh, actually pretty well directed in uh, some of these action scenes. But I think, obviously, the big difference is, I mean, in the first movie, no one knows what the hell is going on. And I think that really plays to its strengths. When, I mean, it's just everyone is unaware of it, and that really helps ratchet up the tension. And one of my least favorite things about horror movies, because I'm not someone that, like, oh, I, I don't like being scared, so I'm – or I, I, I hate the feeling of being scared, so I don't like horror movies. It's more just that, like, they don't do a lot for me and i feel like i can just i just see the flaws and that kind of just frustrates me and i think part of what i liked about the first one is that it it takes its time it's not just a slasher thing the whole way through it builds suspense and because everyone's unaware of what's going on there's only a few moments where you can have those traditional horror thing uh moments that kayla was talking about where it's like that doesn't make sense that that's just kind of like a goof like why would they be doing that or anything like that there's not a ton of that in the original halloween in my opinion and here, because everyone knows the threat, everyone's doing stu- – the whole entire time for the most part, there's more opportunities for people to do stupid stuff in response to that threat. And I think those kind of seams showed a little more for me, and that's even separate from some really dumb plot twists. So, uh, Adam, I know you were uh, – you came out pretty negative. So, like, what was your big initial takeaway, and what, what made you have such, like, a strong visceral reaction to this? Uh, well, the first thing is, like you said, the original Halloween is – really tense like you don't really see, there's no if i remember right there's not really a whole lot of of kills for most of the movie it doesn't really start till the third act right uh, it's just tense it's just suspenseful uh which this movie is not my biggest problem i think with the movie i felt like it was really predictable and of course it's a halloween movie people are gonna die adam well, people are gonna I, hate die. To, I hate to break it to you <laughs> yeah you know people are gonna die but like there was nothing when I sat and watched the movie, there was no point where I was like, oh, my gosh, like, that's crazy. Like, I can't believe that happened. Everything – maybe I, I'm not – I don't want to toot my own horn and pretend I'm some super savvy, uh, you know, genre freak because I'm not. I, I'm generally kind of bad at predicting what's going to happen in the movie. I try not to think about like, or worry about what's going to happen next. I just try to enjoy the movie as it happens. But there were so many terms in the movie that were I just felt were telegraphed. Yeah. Uh, you know, for, for instance, so, like for uh, for instance, when the spoiler, uh, when the doctor uh, kills the police officer, uh, the doctor who's, t- who's been taking care uh, or studying Michael Myers for decades, um, you know, they're in the cop car and he's going on about what it's like when, uh, you know, what, what it's like for Michael Myers, what he feels when he kills people, you know, and just kind of giving off a creepy vibe. I kind of felt like his heel turn where he kills the police officer. Um, I, I just, I saw it coming. It, was, it wasn't surprising at all to me. Um, the early in the movie, when, the, when the two investigative journalist podcasters are killed, one that was in the trailer. Okay. We got, uh, I, I didn't see that part of the trailer, but that's bad that they spoiled it. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. That was probably the most unsettling scene in the whole movie where Michael Myers drops the, the teeth over the bathroom door, like over the bathroom stall door. 
probably the most unsettling scene in the whole movie. When I saw it in the trailer, I, it creeped me out and made me very excited for the movie. But that was the high point of probably the movie for me as far as like creepy or scary things or disturbing things. And it was spoiled in the first trailer. Uh, Kayla, uh, did, were you, are you on the same page as Adam on it or did you get a little more out of it? Yes and no. It was very, very predictable, but I did appreciate how they did it. Does that make sense? It's like, I knew it was going to happen, but I appreciate how they made it happen. Well, I want to go go ahead, Adam. Yeah. Like I said, I just, I felt like it was very predictable. uh, And I just like what it, and that, that suspense and that tenseness, because it was so predictable, I didn't really feel any kind of suspense. I, I wasn't tense. I wasn't sitting on the edge of my seat. I'm just like, Oh, okay. That's what happened. Or, uh, you know, for example, another example, you know, when after, um, Jamie Lee Curtis's granddaughter in the movie, when she's, uh, running, she's trying to leave her, her friend who tried to come on to her. Uh, and he sees Michael Myers in the, in the uh, backyard with him. Uh, okay. It was a funny scene. I enjoyed the scene, but then the lights go off and okay. He's about to get killed. We all see what's coming. And, Okay, the light come back, so comes back on. He's gone, and it's like okay, the lights gonna turn off, and then it's gonna that's what's gonna happen. You know, he's gonna get killed. He's gonna be right up in front of him when the lights come back on, and lo and behold, that's what happened. It, it wasn't, it wasn't tense when you telegraph what's gonna happen. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess I do agree on that. Like, you know, like the lights are gonna come on, he'll jump out. But I don't, I, I don't know what a better way to do that scene is necessarily. And I, I want to, I want to back up for a second, if and we can. I guess go a little bit more chronologically. I just wanted to get your big picture thoughts first. But I'm, I'm, first of all, uh, Adam, uh, you are a journalist. I was a journalist in a former life. I think we both listen to podcasts a good amount. Uh, could you take these podcasters seriously? Not really. Uh, <laughs> it, that that was another problem that I had with the movie was that their plot, like their plot one, I don't. There's there's minor characters, but at the that. same time, I think if they were trying to make it relevant to now and be like, hey, this is happening now, we have podcasters. Sure, sure, and I, I get that, but I just my problem with that was I don't need a lot from a minor char- from minor characters like that, but just like give me a little bit more to make it like it felt like okay, their whole point, the whole point of them being in the movie was to kill them all and. For Michael Myers to get his mask back, and you kind—I guess kind—and also kind of give an introduction to how uh, Laurie Strode is doing now, forty years later. I just felt like there wasn't a lot for the movie to focus on them so much early in the movie. There wasn't a whole lot there. Well, it did take me out of the movie a little bit just because I, I like I just as journalists, like I just didn't buy it. It's like I couldn't tell if we were supposed to be taking them seriously or not. I'd be like, yeah, this is like a real what a real true crime podcast would be like, and yeah. these people were like be so super unethical uh paying sources and asking like really stupid questions and trying to provoke murderers like i i'm sorry you're not like serial like just i can't take i i just, I just can't take you that seriously but Another one. i was just really annoyed by them so at first i was like really excited i'm like good they're dying i don't want to spend any more time with them this is like an insult to my intelligence and but then i i actually kind of wish they just hadn't gotten killed off and just had I don't know. It's I, I'm very conflicted on it because I actually agree with you. That might have been the most well done scene, the one in the bathroom. Uh, but at the same time, I feel like that should have just sent off like a whole sirens around the whole entire city. And at one point, someone's like, "What are we gonna do? Cancel Halloween?" 
And I was like, fucking yes, cancel yeah. Halloween. Like, this is a small town where these are, like, famous murders that happen that people have talked about for 40 years, and that dude's on the loose, and he murdered people on Halloween before. Like, why are you <laughs> not shutting down the whole goddamn town? And I'm like, he just, he just murdered a whole gas station's worth of people within your town. Like, why are you not shutting down? Like, I, I was just like... You could have just had him creeping. You could have just had that. You could have. I guess it would have been almost a little too similar to the first to just have him like go away for a while. But I would have just had him go away for a while after the after the scene where they get off the bus. You know, and, and then he just he just goes around the town just murdering a dozen people. And actually, some of that is kind of cool. That it, it, it lets you know that he's really like doesn't have any motivations. He's really crazy. You don't know what he's going to do. He, he might kill it. Well, thankfully, he didn't kill the infant, but he did yeah. kill the kid. He did kill the kid when he That's when he escaped the bus. Moment. Right, I was like that. I mean, that is a well done thing where it's like all of a sudden you hear baby crying, like oh shit! Like once you've already seen that Michael's just he's just killing. He's there's nothing else there. He's just on a rampage, and then you hear baby cry. Like that is a pretty like pit of your stomach kind of thing. Yeah, but like for a good chunk of the movie, I just was just like, why are they still trick or treating? Why is this still normal Halloween? Why is this dance still going on? Like the word's out now that he's gone, and I was just like, you, you, because on top of that, like how did he like how? I, you know, like I guess it, the whole thing was he wanted to get his mask back. Like that—that's unless he just happened to go upon the gas station that the podcasters were at. It seemed like he was there with the aim of getting his mask. It's like, how does he know what gas station they're at? And that's—and I know you can't dwell too much on that stuff in these movies, but like that's where my head went. And it's like, if there's going to be like this this whole thing where I'm kind of like thinking about why the whole town is doing this because you had to have this scene like that—that that just didn't totally jive in my head. I don't know if that even bothered you guys, but that's just like how I processed it. I mean, I just kind of let it go. I'm like, okay, it's, it's Halloween. Like, they have to do kind of dumb thing with the horror movie. Like, they're not gonna, they're not gonna freak out over, you know, only four murders. Only know? four. And the guys and, on the loose. But, it was all that one place. It was all one place. It really only counts as one. Just one place. But uh, and that was actually that was another problem I had with the movie was, and inherently I'm gonna compare it to the original Halloween because it's a reboot. Um, but the original Halloween is not like super bloody both in terms of actual gore and in terms of the body count. I think the body count in the original Halloween is like maybe like five. Yeah. Five. They say that. I'm like, there are five murders in this movie that are unnecessary and just like, don't add anything. Like, why do they have to kill the two people and the two other like attendants at the gas station? Why? Did, I, I still don't understand why. Oh, he, because he had to get out of his, um, he had, he had to change clothes. Okay, okay, and he needed yeah, the okay. body. Okay. Yeah, so, the suit. Okay, there's one. That's one that I didn't think of. But, like, or the one woman who's, like, just, like, looking out the window, which, again, another telegraph murder. Like, But also, she, they had it come off as she was a babysitter, and that was the whole thing in the original Halloween where the babysitter murdered. He's not talking about the babysitter. He's talking about the woman that was just closing her blinds. Yeah. Well, I kind of assume she was a babysitter because she was just walking around, talking on the phone. Like a stereotypical babysitter yeah, would but, do in a film. Yeah, but there's like I guess like I felt there were a few deaths that didn't add anything to the plot or didn't move the plot along at all. Uh, which I, I don't have a problem with a high body count in a horror movie, but like it just felt like gratuitous. I mean, yes, but I guess they wanted to do. I don't know. I don't want to call it fan service, but they. I guess they wanted to do something for the people that just wanted to see murder and. Uh, I guess that is why some people go to these movies, and they thought they could do it in somewhat of an entertaining way. I mean, the first the first one I guess was kind of necessary because he get, well, he wants to get the kitchen knife, and I guess I think going to that shed was was a bit of the homage to the first one, right? Um, where where he gets the hammer, 
and glad they didn't actually show the hammer death because like i don't i don't like i don't know if you watch daredevil on netflix but like someone gets killed with a hammer in like the first season of that and just like the idea just like one hammer strike like putting a hole in someone's head just like gives me like the shivers so I'm, I, I was appreciative of them like not showing that uh but like there is a purpose to that but yeah the woman with the blinds babysitter it's like oh we just got to do it because it's a babysitter and that's what happens in these movies like i agree but then you got you, you, i guess you but like i guess they did kind of set it up to like she was at least friends with uh with allison that's her name right um yeah. so like there was at least some kind of connection there and then you had the you had the little kid who was kind of funny like that oh, was yeah. that was something mm-hmm. uh i don't know if it felt of a piece with the rest of the movie to like have someone responding to the uh <laughs> have someone responding to like michael myers jumping out with oh shit or whatever he just said and then it didn't actually seem like totally as terrified co-written by or co-written or co-produced by danny mcbride so you knew you were gonna get something like that and well, i thought i was getting like i thought i was gonna get like a danny mcbride cameo so i mean probably would have felt that probably would have felt pretty gratuitous too I, I mean i respect that they just wanted to do something a little different you know i mean like it, that they weren't going to just like i mean because of the whole continuation of the Laurie story thing like it's already not the exact same thing as the first one but like i think they wanted to just like have the plot be like a little different aside from that instead of and if you just uh backload all the action to the final third then maybe it does feel like like the, the force awakens or whatever where you're just like hitting every single same beat as the original so that, that's where I kind of came down on it. It was like they're giving us something a little different. They want to give some other kill scenes. But I understand if you thought they were kind of predictably staged. Yeah, yeah. And, and there, I mean there were things I did like about the movie. Like you mentioned fan service earlier. I was living for all the fan service throughout the movie, all the homages to the original. I was like – I'm sitting in the theater like clapping like a seal because I was loving some of that fan service. Like uh, the scene where um, where Lori stands outside uh, her granddaughter's classroom. Oh. Love that. Loved uh, the seat where uh, the police officer, the police captain, like finds uh, finds the dead babysitter with the sheet over her, with the the ghost, the ghostly sheet. Loved right, that. right, right. When Michael Myers throws uh, Jamie Lee Curtis out the window and then looks back and she's gone, I went nuts. But uh, oh well, that that whole last sequence is its own interesting homage in and of itself that I want to talk about because that I think that is probably the best part of the movie is that last entire sequence up to a i'm, I'm starting at a certain point because a lot of the stuff that leads up to that I, I did find pretty problematic but even before we get to that uh i think one of the other problems i had with them in i mean a, a couple of the problems i had to do with the movie just felt like other convenient uh, plot machinations one, one of my least favorite tropes in pop culture is like when there's like a prolonged conflict because one character doesn't tell another character some information that they could just easily tell them. So when Lori shows up to their house and said, uh, the, 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 the bus crashed, and they're like, what bus? And she doesn't tell them what bus, and then just like lets them throw her out of the house. It's like I, could, I get that they like think she's paranoid and stuff, but like I, think they, I don't think they would have reacted that way if she said the bus that was transporting Michael Myers, you know? And like little things like that, or the, the, when the the girl not immediately trying to save her cell phone when the boyfriend throws it in jello, I get that he was being kind of scary and bordering on violent, but I just didn't buy that a teenage girl would just like leave her phone. Like I, mean, I would leave my phone. What? I mean, I wouldn't leave my phone. Right. So it's like those are like little things that they do just to like set things in motion, and that almost bothered me more than just like the predictability of like the structure of the horror scenes. No, I, I get what you're saying. I, I agree. But yeah, so. And then we get we kind of like we we keep moving and it, and it gets to the point where 
everyone's finally on the same page. You know, I was just screaming like 10 minutes ago about how the um, about how they didn't shut the town down. They eventually shut the town down, and eventually word gets through to uh, Lori's daughter, who I'm just going to call her Judy Greer because she's Judy Greer. And she's, what's that? She's Judy Greer. Yes. That, she, she, uh, so word gets to them, so they're, they're kind of locked away in the safe house, and it's like, oh, crap, we can't reach her on the phone because the girl unrealistically just bailed on her phone. That was clearly still working. Like, it was ringing even as it was sitting in the jello. That's why it was bothering me. If it just died, that had been one thing. But um, then, so it's like, all right, the cops are going to go pick him up, and then they're going to ride around town and try and run over Michael Myers. Like, what did you guys think of, like, that being, like, the plan and, like, the action the cops took? Or do you just accept that, like, cops are going to be dumb in these movies? I didn't have a problem with that because I don't, I mean, like, they were, because if I remember right, they were driving her to, to Jamie Lee Curtis's house. They just happened to, like, see Michael Myers just, like, walking down the street. And they're like, I'm going to with my car because... Yeah, it was, um, it was the granddaughter who saw him. Yeah. She was, like, banging on the window, like, there he is, oh. there he is. And then the sheriff was like, oh, shit, there he is. So he, you know, revs it up car. and hits him with the car. Which actually is pretty smart. I feel like that's pretty smart. I actually agree. Because I, you found it predictable that like the the doctor was going to turn i didn't but i thought it was way i mean i get that he was talking creepy but it still didn't it still seemed like it was it still seemed a little out of nowhere to me and served no other purpose other than like getting both michael and uh, allison back to Lori's house i like, do agree with that i definitely agree with that and, and that bothered me too and, that, and that's why i guess maybe i shouldn't say it was like a dumb plan by the cop to do that because I, I because I didn't find it was predictable that like he was gonna get betrayed by like the doctor, you know. Like I guess in theory it makes sense. Like he doesn't get away if the doctor doesn't like murder him. Like he probably just he, his plan was gonna be to put a bullet in him and then. I'm not gonna say it would have been over because like what the fuck does kill Michael Myers anyway? But you know what I mean. Like that would have been the smarter way of handling things. I guess I don't know. Totally randomly just reminded me of when I was not like speaking of like the fan service and stuff. Uh, two lines where they just like ripped into the sequels there was one that the doctor said like um you know what drives him to kill is it some kind of imprint on his soul is a reference to the sequels where it's discovered that there's a curse on him and that's what keeps him alive and yada 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 that's why he keeps coming back from the dead and keeps killing there's a curse or something like some ancient curse um which i if they got rid of that then i think if they had if he had shot him in the head uh he probably would have just died in this in this halloween universe didn't it look like Lori got a shot in on him at the first point where they where they confront him when they're still in the neighborhood? I thought it looked like she hit him with the with the gun at one point. No, it was uh when she shoots through the window. No, no, like when when like when they're when they're both on the outside and they're like just on the lawn of that house. I thought it looked like she like made shoulder, comp- right. It looked like yeah yeah Kayla, yeah look, yeah Kayla said it looked like he got him in the shoulder. And, Again, like this guy is the guy that got like shot in the face at the end of the movie, and it didn't affect him at all. So I guess I shouldn't really be caught up on the fact that like he also got like multiple fingers shot off, right? So and he just kept going on with his life. Yeah, so I guess I shouldn't be bothered by the fact that like getting shot in the shoulder didn't slow him down. Um, and I guess that is implied in that last sequence, which we'll get. To, we can now move move towards that. That like I guess eventually like the Knicks did kind of add up. So uh, what, what did you guys think of the? like the whole entire approach to approach to the house before they actually got there where the um where the cops that are standing guard leave to go approach the other cop car and then he ends up getting them was that kind of in the same vein for you adam or is it like i could tell the way this thing is staged i know exactly how it's going to go because he has to get to the house yeah 
again, felt pretty predictable. Okay, they see the cop car that we know has Michael Myers in it, but we and they, we know we just killed the he, he killed the doctor, and you know we know what the deal is. And the cops are like, "Hey, come in, chief. Like, are you there? Why aren't you answering us? Are you are you dead? Uh, like that again? It's, it's a trope. Like you see it in plenty of movies. I know most like recently. I you know similar similar thing where they poked fun of that at it was in Scream Four where there's two cops stationed outside the house and they're like, we're probably going to die because that's what happens in these movies. And then they do. Um, but yeah, so I, I felt that was pretty predictable as well. I, I guess they, it, at least they get a little creative with how, like, how they get them to the house or however the hell Michael does that, where he, I mean, I guess, I don't know if he drives the car there or he like, ha- but he has the dead cop sitting in the car. Well, and, drive. well no, no. That, that, that's what I was thinking. Well, no, it was the doctor who drove it, and then um, that's when, I want to say Allison? Yeah. Uh, the granddaughter? Um, saw him, like, starting, or was trying to get out of the car, and like, oh, I'm going to tell, um, I'll tell you, he did speak to me. He said a word, and the doctor was driving, right. so he pulled over, because that's when Michael started oh, no, yeah, waking no. up. So, like, that's how he got there. Michael- he did drive earlier in the movie. So my point is, where did he spend his entire life in a mental institution? Where did he learn how to drive? That thought did cross my mind at one point. But he, but he, I guess he, he drives in the first movie too, right? When he, like, he steals their car. Right, right at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I think you're right. But yeah. still, at that point, he went into the mental institution when he was uh, six and he's 21 yeah. or whatever there. So uh, who, who knows? He's just, uh, I guess he just somehow figured it out. But, uh, but or maybe uh, he was on the lawn crew and was on the lawn. <laughs> was on the riding lawnmower and that's how he learned who knows well yeah or i guess maybe he was just a very uh maybe he was just really into the cars until he was six and then he decided murder was going to be his new thing but uh rismo in uh in the mental institution there who knows but uh, but uh, yeah, but no, I actually I, I was actually referring to how the car got on the front lawn. But I did like your I did I, I did like what you mentioned though about the the um, about her like saying the thing about the one word because I thought that was like a cool character moment that she like figured out that like how crazy this guy was and like how that would be the one thing to get him to stop the car. Like I like that. I just I appreciate I appreciate strong women in films, mm-hmm. and I feel like the you know that you had um jamie lee curtis judy greer and the young girl her characters allison i guess yeah that they were all like strong women it was focused on them i mean obviously it, it was focused on michael but like how it's showing that they're smart they're not, you know, the girl grabbing the spoon out of the dish, uh, <laughs> the dish strainer instead of the like butcher, the butcher knife, knife that's next to it. The AK-47. <laughs> yeah, that they're grabbing. Well, not grabbing, but they're smart about it. Right. And like, right. I appreciate that in a horror film. I appreciate when it's not, oh, yeah, it's totally going to be, you know, the hot jock who saves the day, you know, it kind of stepped away from that. Yeah, and I and, and I wanted to get to the um to just the whole last sequence in the house because I mean the dad goes outside because he sees it's a cop car and I mean he gets what's coming and oh, the, I like him. Yeah, well I like that actor a lot too. He's on Halt and Catch Fire. Yeah, 
he's just he's he's just a good he's a good seaman dude he's he's, he just seems like a good dude and so kind of sad when he ultimately uh bites the bullet uh they don't even really seem to like really notice at the end when they're riding away they're not that upset about it which is kind of weird i think they're all kind of traumatized so they're just happy to escape i guess maybe it's jamie lee curtis Found him in. Didn't even say she was that. Well, found him in the found him in the top of the closet, and she's probably like, "We don't need to talk." <laughs> oh, about Oh, by the that. way, your your husband's dead. I found him in the stuffed in the closet. But I mean, also Judy Greer's character. It's like she's been preparing for this all her life. She's probably just assumed. Yeah, no, I haven't heard from him in a while. He did. <laughs> well, so once they, once they are all in the house, though, like they're down in the the bunker and. Uh, Lori decides, like, no, I, I do have to take care of this myself. Um, this is what I've been preparing for my whole life now. And, uh, I mean, th- that whole sequence ensues. And, I mean, I guess it's kind of interesting, like a- Adam was saying. I mean, I, I, I guess they do get, like, a, I mean, where they get, like, an, enough of a initially, like, whatever shot she gets in on Michael when he's trying to strangle her through the door. Who knows where exactly that hits him? It obviously does some damage because you're following a lot of blood. But at some point in that sequence, though, it's almost like they do flip roles, and uh, she's kind of the one that's like hunting him more, and has the homage to the original, or falling out the window, and then all of a sudden he's kind of on his heels because he doesn't know where she is. So, what did you guys just think of that entire sequence in the house, the rest of the movie? Because I thought I thought that was pretty well done, and like this, the predictability Adam's been discussing, like didn't bother me as much. But I think this is, but I at least get what he's saying. But here, I didn't really think it was kind of this i didn't really think it was that do you agree adam yeah that was definitely i i did like you said they kind of turned the original on its head it kind of reminded me actually of a movie that we just watched uh, another horror movie we just watched uh, a couple days ago uh don't breathe it's a more recent movie oh yeah oh yeah uh where they turned like the home invasion trope on its head um i it, i kind of felt like it was similar to that where you know you have jamie lee curtis becoming the hunter trying to find michael myers going through her own house trying to find him uh, another homage, you know, when she looks in the closet, you know, looking for him, expecting to find him there. Uh, and I, I didn't, I did enjoy it. Like there were parts, that was one of the parts of the movie I did enjoy. Okay. Well, I think, I think it, that does though, get at what you were talking about just with like the, the woman actually kind of being smart and not just having the man save the day. Cause I thought one of my favorite parts was, I mean, as, uh, when Lori's like kind of out of it for a second and Allison and Judy Greer are in the basement, and you kind of hear Michael figures out what the, the deal with the island in the kitchen is, and I'm they're just staring there looking at it, and I'm just like, God damn it, Judy Greer, get a gun. You're the one that knows how to shoot it, and she's just staring, and I'm like almost about to yell out in the middle of the theater, get a gun. And then, hey, she actually does something like really smart once she does. Yeah. yeah that was great. That was very good. I guess uh, Lori does kind of make it up behind him at that point, but she still like, Judy Greer still gets to do the smart thing and is like, to coax him into coming to the entrance of the basement. And that was like, like you said, like that was super smart. And then you kind of like find out that this house has like even more booby traps than you realized. Uh, Which you say that it's really funny that um, one thing we talked about uh, when we were discussing the movie on the way home, that Adam's like, why does she turn off the lights? Like, that's stupid. She's she's looking for him. Why does she turn off the lights? And I was like, because she knows her own house. She knows knows the booby trap she's put in the house. But think about it. I mean, you turn all the lights off in your apartment. You're not going to run into a table because you know your space. 
Well, you might you, you might overestimate my uh, lack of clumsiness, but well, go ahead, continue. You might. Most people can you know walk from their bed to the bathroom in pitch darkness because right. they know their house. And so, if she's been living in this cabin in the woods, fortified for forty years, I like to think she knows the layout of her own home. Uh, so, I mean, that's very, very smart of her. And that's one thing he was like, that just doesn't make sense. So I was like, no, she's taken away his sight, but she knows where she is. I get, I see, I get that. I still don't necessarily agree because I still think it'd be better. Especially if you're carrying a shotgun and you're up against a guy with a knife, guy with a knife just has to like get you. Whereas if you have a shotgun, you have to like actually aim it and stuff. So I, I feel like if I, if it was, if I was in that situation and I'm trying to track a, a murderer through my house. Uh, I want the lights on so I'm not surprised or anything. Do you think uh, laying, uh, burning the house he is in down is the best way to kill Michael Myers? Uh, I don't know. It, it seems like that's a pretty easy way for him to somehow survive for the inevitable sequel. Well, I mean, they keep shooting him and he's not dying. So <laughs> how many other options do you have here? I think someone just needs to chop his hands off at some point. You know, I feel like that would severely limit him, and it, it's it's one thing to survive just getting shot, but like if you don't have fingers, like I feel like that really like hinders his ability to do things. Well, then he'll just get like a like a like a prosthetic with just a knife with for, for hands. We'll have two knives. Edward Scissorhands. Yeah. Oh, they already made a movie about that. Also, another random nitpick, and I hate nitpicking like this, but like if Jamie Lee Curtis's character is supposed to be like this traumatized person who's like who can't move on with her life. Where did she find the money to buy like a house or like, get a house and like set it up with all this like intricate equipment and like pay buy all these guns and stuff? She sells interviews. Duh. Or she got a lot of money in one of her divorces, or she had a dope job before like things really went off the deep end. I guess. Uh, I, I I didn't I didn't get I has hung up on that. How about uh? Do you well, guys think the police department? Do you, do you think uh? What do you think about Jamie Lee Curtis being a massive hypocrite for being for gun control yet shooting guns in this movie? Oh, he definitely <laughs> went off the Unbelievable. You know, Robert England has never even murdered anyone in real life, but in the Nightmare on Elm Street series, he murdered lots of people. So. And you know what? She didn't even eat Activia. Didn't even eat Activia. Unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, she she's just uh, clearly the worst, and uh, none of her uh, none of her real life. Uh, position should be taken seriously all because of this movie in which a person that was traumatized uh bought a lot of guns to protect herself well, that's um, why I'm for her in 2020 there you go um d- d- is there uh is there anything else we didn't touch on any other odds and ends uh things from the movie that kind of jumped out to you guys um i oh yeah so should the boyfriend have died oh that was not the boyfriend that well, was no, should, the weirdo best friend but should the boyfriend no, have died? Yeah. the one that the, the actual boyfriend that cheated on her should he have died no i think he was completely unnecessary to the movie in general um the only thing he really did for it was throw her phone into pudding and he kissed another girl in front of her uh it seems, it seems like maybe a, like a horror movie trope that that guy gets his uh gets what's coming eventually but I mean, well they did have the babysitter where she started, like, making out and dry-humping her boyfriend, and congratulations, they both died. Uh, yeah, they, 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 they checked that box off. Um, well, when it showed them fooling around, I leaned over. I was like, they're going to die. Oh, for sure. <laughs> and, and they, they did. did. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, any, anything else, guys? 
Uh, I mean, like, yeah, like I was saying earlier, I really did appreciate the fan service. Like, I was, I was very here. I was very here for that. Um, that made my my Halloween, like, my little Halloween fandom heart beat fast. Um, but overall, I mean, there's just too many. Like, I was looking forward to this movie, and I wasn't trying to compare it to the original. Like, I wasn't like sitting there thinking this needs to be as good as the original Halloween because I didn't expect it to be. I just was hoping it would be decent. And it still kind of fell short for me. Would you still look? Would you look? Do you hope they? I mean, they're not going to. So I should just say, like, there's going to obviously be a sequel. I'm, this thing's going to make a ton of money. Are you optimistic that, like, hey, maybe if they bring in just like a different director that kind of handles this differently, like, they could give me what I want from these things? Or mm-hmm. are you just like kind of dreading the fact that like there might be more of these and well, they're not going to do the original justice? I just hope they finally like close it. Like, I know that sounds silly, but it's like, I hope they just finally, like, close it. And they're like, okay, story's over now. He's dead. You, yeah, you keep keep hoping. Uh, I would just I say that, like... I hate when stuff is overdone, beating a dead horse, burning up a Michael Myers, whatever phrase you want to use. Um, but, I don't know, it's just, if another one comes out, I'm just not going to waste my time. I'll wait for it to come out on Redbox or on Netflix. I, I might waste my time on it because depending on how good the trailer makes, you know, how good the trailer is, if they make another yeah, one. Then you're just going to be disappointed. Probably. But I mean, I, I try to watch, I mean, I'm never super hopeful. I try not to be super hopeful about like rebooted horror movies because they're usually pretty bad. Uh, I was a little hopeful for this one, but it, it also let me down. So if they make another one, so be it. Maybe especially if I, if I still have AMC stubs, that's still a thing. I'll probably go see it then. But like, yeah, like dying for a sequel. Yeah, I mean, assuming I'm still doing this podcast, I mean, it's gonna any sub sequels will still be a big deal. So I'm gonna do it. My level of excitement will probably vary depending on the filmmaker involved. And David Gordon Green's like an interesting director that like doesn't really have like a specific lane he stays in. So I mean, I could tell he has the talent to like do interesting horror scenes. But as far as like the overall. I mean, I, I don't even necessarily, I wouldn't even blame Danny McBride. I mean, I just, but I do just think like I, the whole creative team could have just made better decisions because I do think, I don't know, technically, I don't think the staging of these scenes bothered me as much as it did you. I just think overall, like, there's a lot of different odds and ends and connectors in this movie that just didn't work for me that kind of, uh, made the overall product just not what I think it could have been, but it's a very hard standard that the original set to really hold anything up to. But, you know, maybe someone else will figure out a, a better way and a more, a, just a modern way to do these things. It's a, um, a fresh spin. So I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but guys, uh, thanks a lot for taking the time to join me on this. I'm, I, I'm aware of my faults. And one of my faults as like a movie goer is that I'm just not well versed in the horror genre. So it means a lot to have some people that know, know this stuff a little better and have some more deeper opinions about the genre. So I appreciate it. Uh, Adam or Kayla, do either of you have anything you want to plug uh, other works or social media or anything like that? Follow me on Twitter at a B Lichtenstein, like the country, but without the, what, the first E in the, in the country. Yeah. That's too complicated. Yeah. All my my listeners from South Florida, if you have any interest in high school sports, uh, Adam's got you covered on there. Uh, Stay tuned for Bad Times at the El Royale with Joe Morgan. All right. Now I'm going to bring in my old friend Joe Morgan to talk about Bad Times at the El Royale. Joe, thanks for joining me. I think this is your first time on here, aside from the Movie Pass podcast since episode two. Glad to have you back. 
yeah, it's good to be back. Good to uh, get to the theater and talk about something. So, yeah. Yeah, so Bad Times at the El Royale, uh, the newest film from uh, writer-director Drew Goddard. He uh, he wrote The Martian. That was, like, the most recent thing he did. But then he – and I guess he works on The Good Place, but he hadn't, like, done his own film all on his own since The Cabin in the Woods, which uh, also starred Chris Hemsworth, uh, as this movie does, along with a bunch of people, Dakota Johnson – Jeff Bridges, uh, newcomer Cynthia Erivo, uh, John Hamm, um, Shea Wiggum, uh, just a fairly loaded cast. So, I mean, it was a lot, pretty exciting for a lot of people when the trailer dropped. And uh, to give a very quick, brief synopsis, because the movie goes in a ton of directions, but it's, I mean, about this hotel where we start out early in 1960 and we uh, see someone played by Nick Offerman. Uh, yeah. Bur- burying something in the floorboards of this hotel room and then someone shows up to the door and uh, shoots him dead and then we jump forward 10 years later to the same hotel the El Royale is now kind of a little desolate because I guess it's lost a bunch of his permits as they say in a quick throwaway line at one point and but all these people all of a sudden start showing up to it uh, there's John Hamm playing some kind of appliance salesman there's uh, Dakota Johnson's a mysterious hippie. Uh, Cynthia Erivo is a singer. Jeff Bridges is a priest. And we soon come to learn that all of them have their own different motivations. And um, this movie, though, is structured. It, it kind of does a Quentin Tarantino type thing where it jumps around in time, shows you different things from different perspectives. And that makes it really hard to talk about in a uh, normal way without actually saying stuff that happens. So as much as I would like to be able to have a spoiler section for a movie like this, which isn't like a, a massive movie that I'm sure everyone's going to see, uh, I'm not going to do that because it's just too hard to talk about it otherwise. So I would just say, like, this is a really long-ass movie, but, like, if you want to watch a lot of good actors be able to do interesting characters in a story that may worked at varying levels of success throughout. I, I Joe might disagree with that assertion, but that is what I'm telling you. It, you can leave now if that sounds cool to you, because we're just going to have to spoil this movie as far as I'm concerned. So, uh, Joe, you were really excited to see this movie. Um, why and uh, what was your big takeaway? What did you ultimately think? Yeah, so I guess like I'm not I'm not what you would call like a huge Tarantino fan or anything like that, but. I was just really excited by, you know, just an original like project uh, coming out and getting the big studio treatment. I think that's really cool always when you get a chance to do that. And then like the cast was just so good, too. I was like, man, like this could be something that's like really entertaining and um, could actually have some uh, really good performances in it. And then, of course, you know, Goddard's uh, body work speaks for itself. So, um, yeah, going into it, like, you know, I thought, you know, I thought it was I thought it was solid. You know, there was there's nothing about it that really blew me away, you know? And I guess there was nothing really about it that I hadn't seen before. Mm-hmm. Like it, it just seems like a very, um, it seems like a very, uh, competent story with great performances, I guess is probably my short version of it. Yeah. And I would say I definitely agree on liking the story. I just wish they had kind of told it in a different way because i went into it i think i am a bigger tarantino fan than you from the sounds of it but i was have you seen the hateful eight no oh okay so uh (laughs) i would say i'm not going to spoil the hateful eight for you but i'm going to say he does some of his stuff where he messes around with time it's just it's not like as jumpy but it happens where a lot of people as i'm sure you always know the premise of it where all these people kind of come together these eight characters come together in in a in a cabin basically uh and 
a lot of tension builds throughout the first half of the movie, and it's really compelling. But then the second half of the movie is showing you a lot of stuff that they'd already told you in the first half, and I think it makes it a lot less interesting. So here it had that same basic idea where it's like all these and, – and Hateful Eight, obviously, there's a fairly – race plays a fairly big role in it. And, and I, I mean, I think it's handled decently well for the most part for – by Tarantino standards, but I just like didn't like the storytelling in it. And here, there's obviously a component of that, but I hoped I had hoped that it was going to just bring a bunch of interesting characters together in the first half, because that those first 45 minutes are like really, really actually pretty interesting and gripping oh. as you're trying to as you're trying to figure everything out. And I just wanted it to kind of like I wanted it to kind of just go from there and like have these characters all converge in like a really interesting way. And then it just spreads everything out too much and feels the need to give a backstory to everyone. And yeah. all these characters get some kind of flashback, or most of them get some kind of flashback. Or uh, John Hamm's character, who uh, turns out he's not an appliance salesman. He's an FBI agent there investigating some activities that have been going on at the hotel. You don't necessarily get a flashback, but you see him like going and talking to the FBI a lot and like just breaking down a lot of stuff on behalf of them. And I think the movie does not lose one degree of effectiveness if you take away everyone's flashbacks. And Yeah, that, I agree. And I think that movie's a lot trimmer and a lot more propulsive and gripping and uh, maintain, holds your interest a lot more if it's not constantly cutting away to that stuff. Yeah, that's where it kind of felt like it lost momentum a bit. You know, like uh, Cynthia Erivo, the singer, like her whole backstory, like, it, really, it, it informs who she is and why she is where, you know, she's at. But, like, that whole scene just kind of, I don't know, not that it wasn't well shot or well acted or anything. It just kind of felt like it lost momentum. Like, I mean, a lot, a lot of this stuff could have been done through, I mean, you know, not heavy-handed bad exposition. But you know what I mean? Like, some of the stuff just kind of – and, like, especially with a runtime of, like, two hours and 20 minutes on this movie, like, it definitely could have been a lot more trim. I agree. So, um, yeah, like – Really, just I wanted the characters to uh, spend more time with each other, and I mean, quite frankly, I was kind of hoping by seeing their backgrounds, they might have interlocked a bit more. Like John Hamm's whole FBI angle just felt like completely like tertiary, if that's the right word, to the whole thing. Like it just, um, at least from because I was kind of I was kind of thinking like um, <laughs> this is jumping around a bit here, so hopefully you know you've seen the movie by now if you're listening to this. But uh, when we get the whole like hideaway hall with the two-way mirrors into the rooms and you have the camera set up and there's the reel of film and there's they keep referencing the hotel management and then um you have john ham like going through the room and like pulling the wired the wire taps from like uh the telephone and the ac unit and everything you're just kind of thinking that these pieces may click together and then uh both of those strands ultimately go nowhere well, um, on one hand, I respect hiring like a really recognizable actor like John Hamm, and then just like killing him off because you it, it does catch you off guard. You assume that like they're going to serve a larger purpose, but and there have been movies that killed off recognizable people even sooner than that. But it's like that might be like the most. I mean, even though you see it in the trailer, when it's in the full context of everything you know that's going in the movie, when he is walking down that hall with all the two way mirrors, and you hear Cynthia Erivo singing that song, it's pretty haunting and uh, rather rather suspenseful because you just don't know what the hell is happening you see you see uh you see uh well i mean i think i think he actually he might actually walk through there uh maybe jeff bridges walks through there. i can't remember who but you're seeing 
Or no, no, no. He, he, it's it's Sean Ham. He sees Jeff Bridges like trying to dig up the wrong floorboards. He sees Cynthia right. Erivo. It looks like grabbing something in the on this on the walls. Like it looks like she's like it almost looks like she's looking for something too. Uh, yeah. I don't really know what it is. I don't I don't really remember if we get any explanation for what she's doing or maybe she's looking for bugs. I don't. I don't know, but it's like, man, what are all of these people doing? And I thought there was going to be just a bigger thread there of, like, John Hamm trying to figure stuff out. And I was almost looking forward to that, and I thought that was going to bring everyone together. But then, like I said earlier, everyone just ends up, like, breaking off. And I and I and and then we get flashbacks. And you, you mentioned, like, that scene with her, her flashback. It is well acted because all of these are actually, like, really good performers. I don't think I had a problem with any of the performances, and they're so good that, in fact— I got a good sense of who all of these people are without needing to go and do a flashback. And that's kind of my yeah. thing. It's like, let's just hang out with them in the present tense and, like, make the story a little more tightly wound. And, I mean, I liked – I mean, I guess I liked the stuff with uh, Cynthia Erivo and Jeff Bridges. And so they do have to kind of go off on their own. It is kind of cool how those characters come to respect each other more. But it still seems like it was a little – it was a lot of different strands that didn't ultimately get tied up. Yeah, and – I mean, like, even, like, I guess my, probably my favorite scene in the entire movie is, which, I don't know, like, I think my favorite scene in the entire movie is when uh, Jeff Bridges and Cynthia Erivo are, like, having pie together, and Jeff Bridges is revealing that, like, his mind is going, and I just thought that that was, like, a very vulnerable scene for that character, and thought it was really well acted, and I liked the way they shot it, too, and, like, you know, I really think Bridges is awesome there. I mean, I obviously haven't seen enough movies this year and there's still more to come in terms of like, um, you know, award season and everything, but I really, and this might be a hot take, I think, but I really, really enjoyed his performance like in that moment and thought it was, might've been the best thing I saw in the entire movie. So, well, um, I guess it adds to it. Cause I mean, I guess that part of the reason why maybe it is impressive is cause you don't know whether to believe him or not. I don't know if you had seen the trailer and, in the trailer there is the line where he tells her i'm not really a priest and she's like no shit so i mean i know while i'm watching that that like he's not who he says he is so i guess i don't know really whether or not to believe him and i guess that gives that moment extra layers you don't know if you're supposed to be taking him that genuinely and uh you've seen him i guess be a little weird enough that you just don't really know what he's getting at if he's being totally sincere so i guess that does really work i guess i wasn't sure what to be feeling there because i knew it wasn't like that wasn't really him how he was presenting himself, but I guess that's kind of the point. And if he can pull that off, like more power to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, Cause I, I was pretty fortunate that, I mean, I think I saw one teaser for it oh, okay. um, in the theater. So gotcha. um, I kind of was able to avoid most of that stuff, which was good. But. Good, good job by you on that. Uh, what, <laughs> what, what did you think of the whole, uh, I guess the, I guess the best way to talk about this movie and then it forces you to do it is just to like, jump around with the characters a little bit uh yeah what did you think about the whole uh dakota because i mean i guess it, i guess it does tie into the john ham thing eventually i just wanted john ham to have a bigger role but what did you think of the whole uh dakota johnson thing with her looking like a kidnapper one minute but then all of a sudden we get the flashback to the whole uh chris hemsworth thing too and then that thing kind of comes together in its own way did, did that work for you uh, you know, it was interesting. I liked I liked what they did with Dakota Johnson early on because I really didn't know what to make of her. Make of her, which kind of made it fun every time we checked in with her, and I was like, okay, like what's her deal? Like, because when you see her like drag the body into the room at first, mm-hmm. you're like, you're like, holy shit! Like, what's going on with this? And um, I thought that was really cool, and um, it was interesting to see her like in that context too, you know, playing a character like that because 
I, I admittedly haven't seen her a ton in um, many things. So, um, yeah, I thought that whole thing w- was really cool. I guess um, I really like I really like the performance of Dakota Johnson and the actress playing your sister. I had the name here. Kaylee Spaney. <laughs> Kaylee Spaney and uh, Chris Hemsworth. I thought they all um, – and not to jump too far ahead here, I guess, but I really liked that whole um, thread about you know the lengths of – because, I mean, 60s and 70s especially, I guess, were set right around that time period. I don't remember. It's like 1970, they, I think. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember they mentioned the year or not. But, like, really kind of uh, the whole, you know, I'm going to sound like my dad here or something. Like, the whole, like, free love hippie era or whatever where you um, where you know people got kind of pulled into those cult-like uh, uh, groups and movements and stuff and trying to rescue somebody from that. And, I, like, I thought that was really interesting. And then... Unfortunately, and I, I'm curious to hear what you think about this. It actually kind of fell apart for me when we see the uh, campfire scene where Chris Hemsworth is doing his whole thing a bit. Uh, well, I don't know if it was even that. I, I guess it maybe more was that. I, I, I could have had a little bit of them getting pulled into it, but I just that was another flashback that I didn't need because I I thought that Chris Hemsworth performance in and of itself was so different and deranged and interesting for him, and I was sold on it just by what he was doing in the present day. So I didn't need them to go back. And just show them, show me some weird fight scene, just to prove how deranged he was. Like he was, he was proving that he was proving that for me in and of himself with the crazy performance he was giving in the present day. Exactly, like the thing he does in the lobby at the end, which I mean, that whole that whole like bit is just so great, and he does such a good job with it. And it's very, you know, yeah, it's like not. It's not very Hensworthy at all, at least in the okay, way we. Come. We don't have to talk about about spoilers because that's maybe one of my biggest criticisms of the movie. What do you mean by the thing in the lobby at the end? Do you mean the entire final sequence where he's holding everyone hostage? Uh, yeah. I mean, I really where he's holding everybody hostage and he's doing the roulette thing. I think I think one of my favorite moments of that is when um, when Cynthia Arabino sings for him, and he or which she she calls him on his bullshit basically. And that look on his face is um, pretty incredible, I think, because he's just he goes from so manic to like manic and kind of silly to she calls him on his shit right there. And then he just kind of just stunned for a second, doesn't know what to say. I thought that was a really great moment in that sequence. And um, I really enjoyed that because like the whole flashback campfire thing just felt like, okay, like I've seen this before and this is not nearly as like intense or, you know, cause I mean, I, you know, insert movie here. I can't think of a specific example right now, but we've seen situations where, you know, tribal leader puts two of the members against each other and like they end up beating each other to death. And then he ends up breaking up that fight before it really goes anywhere. Yeah, you know? Not super original. Yeah. So well, that was kind yeah. of a, that was kind of a bummer in, in a movie that, you know, was a little long, didn't need it. Well, I guess my thing about that whole final sequence was uh, as much as I enjoyed his performance, the fact that, that he is so unhinged to the point where he would just uh, kill the Emily character for uh, – the Dakota Johnson character for uh, no specific reason other than that like she wanted to save her sister from him. But the fact that he would just commit a murder like that, like that he was that crazy, that he would uh-huh. do that, it made me a little – it made me question like why we were there for that long because that whole hostage sequence goes on for – I mean, maybe a half an hour, and it's like here once he gets once he sees that money and he finds whatever's on that film reel that's oh so valuable. At that point, if he's proven he has no moral qualms, just killing to kill, 
wouldn't the logical thing for that kind of person to do just to be to kill everyone and get out of there? And maybe he, yeah. maybe he is, maybe the idea is that he has a sick enough mind that he likes playing roulette to decide how to kill people, but he's not exactly doing that either. He just decides he's going to do it when someone says something that pisses him off. So he's really spending a lot of time there when he, this guy does not mind killing in cold blood. It's like, it's not, this doesn't seem like the practical thing to do. And maybe I'm reading too much into what this, what the smart thing to do would be for a character that's not yeah. that smart. But I was just like, what is your purpose in making, in like keeping them here forever? I get that Drew Goddard wrote a lot of dialogue that and he wants to not cut a lot of his movie, even if it makes it two hours and 20 minutes. But why are you crazy Chris Hemsworth guy, not just making a run for it when you have this, all this money right in front of you. And that kind of bothered me because I didn't really seem like, think it was building to anything too specific. Yeah, I, I guess to defend that, I, I, I would think for Hemsworth's character in that moment, I'm just going to look up the names. It's driving me crazy. Um, <laughs> Billy Lee. Okay, yeah, yeah Billy yeah. Lee. Really, uh, really tough name to remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's just – it's all a game to him I think, which is you know, like he just didn't really care about what was going on. I, 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 think, I think he was more entertained by – like, you know, he dumps all the money out on the table. He sees what the real is, and he kept asking them, like, what their stories were, and he didn't like priests. And I think to him it was just all a game and seeing how he could pit people against each other. And, yeah, I think that, yeah, like, you know, the smart thing to do would have been just to take the film to take the film reel and go. But, like, I think for that character specifically, he just liked the game of it all, which is, you know, it's a game. So, you know, when, the, when someone is clearly defeated, whether by roulette wheel or <laughs> – fight by a campfire the loser gets off you know regardless of the history I, of uh, he may have i'm ashamed to say i did not recognize uh manny jacinto as one of the guys in his cult did did you did that jump up to you being a good good place fan and a jaguars fan manny jacinto my brother jason mendoza <laughs> i did not i did not i guess there was too many moving pieces for me to uh, recognize it was him until like after the fact and I looked it up and I was like oh man yeah no and I, I was mad at myself for not catching it either I, and I, I'm surprised I'm surprised that you didn't uh, but I mean it, it, I guess there this I guess it makes sense that uh, Drew Goddard has worked on The Good Place and uh, mm-hmm. obviously has a relationship with Mike Schur so you see uh, Jim O'Hare aka Gary Jerry hey. Gergich making an appearance uh, <laughs> and there's obviously Nick Offerman too so kind of funny that this random movie shares like that much DNA with the Mike Schur extended universe what about uh, Miles the hotel employee and we get like a whole arc for him in the last like 10 minutes of the movie <laughs> what, yeah. what, how did you think that was uh, handled it was too rush uh, I don't know I, I honestly don't know how I feel about the character still because it's like, you know, going back to the, to uh, Dakota Johnson's death, it's like um, – and given like our kind of figuring out what Chris Hensworth was trying to do, like why did he keep Miles alive other than just the random chance of the game? Like it would be much easier for him to off the bellboy he doesn't know and just keep Dakota Johnson alive a little longer. You know what I mean? To Right. Maybe met her a little more since there was a history there. And then like the whole need to repent thing. I, I don't know. Well, like I, <laughs> no, well, my thing about that is, is, and I talked about this with my friend Charlie after we left the movie. Uh, we, we were both like, cause I noticed in the movie, Charlie laughed a lot when like, they're asking like, have you ever killed someone before? And he's like, yeah, I've killed 123 people before. And we thought they were just going to leave it at that. 
it would have been funny if that was the thing the guy said and you never actually found out what he meant by that. Yeah. But instead, it's like, oh no, we're gonna make you go through a whole another ten minute flashback sequence at like in the middle at, at, at like the two hour five minute mark, and I just groaned yeah. like audibly in the movie because like we both thought it would have just been hilarious if like that's all you found out about the guy after a whole movie of him just being like, I need to repent, and you're just assuming it's like he thinks. The fact that he's a drug addict is a bad thing, or something like that, and like maybe uh, that's maybe he's referring to that, and we know that, but no one else knows that. But he's actually referring to like all the time he spent in Vietnam, and in, instead it's like, no, like this guy like actually killed a lot of people. We're going to show you that. Whereas it would have been kind of funny just to leave him being kind of mysterious and just him making a comment about being uh, a mass murderer without you having any context. Like that would have been like a funny throwaway gag, and then he could have died. <laughs> And left it at that and shaved another seven minutes off the movie. But uh, that's not what they wanted to do. Yeah, and you know, I I almost was in that moment when, when we when we get his backstory, you know, there's, there's all those references to management and filming powerful people there and things like that. And I was just like, I wonder if it would have been like more interesting if, it, if he had been killing people at the hotel, you know, or – like if they could have referenced that or maybe that was there because I mean the whole two-way mirror thing and the management thing was like that one thread. I was like, all right, like shortly that's going to kind of add up or play a role here or something. And then that never really ended up being anything. So I was kind of curious like how he would tie into that. And then it was just Vietnam and like the way he was like shooting guys, I couldn't help but think of uh, the the Saving Private Ryan sniper. A little oh. bit. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's an uh, maybe it was an homage, but um, but yeah, I feel, I feel like I'm making. It seems like you probably were a little higher on the movie than me, so I feel like I'm making you uh, dwell too much on maybe some of the negatives. Uh, and I, like I said, I I just wish it had uh, it had just been a lot tighter and come together a little more. Um, just with with a little more direction at the end but like i i do think i like enjoyed all these performances and even as i'm criticizing like the story choices it's making like i'm still liking watching these actors do their thing is there anything else you wanted to kind of compliment that i haven't touched on yet let's see i guess <laughs> you know uh, i mean we we talked about john ham and like i i kind of liked uh his uh his um his salesman guy a little bit more. I wish we could have seen more of him and uh, like, you know, to see him, see him go out like that. Um, I really like the Jeff Bridges thing a lot. I, you know, I mean, I know it's not, it wasn't like groundbreakingly original or anything, you know, but I really liked the idea of um, like, I really, again, like, you know, I talked about this earlier. I really liked his performance and telling his story there and, um, the, and like him teaming up with Cynthia Aravino, I thought was kind of a fun little storyline, her having the gun on him in the car, like, I think, like, when I look back on it, those moments between um, those two characters are really the things that stuck out to me the most and the things that I took away from it the most. And I guess if I – one thing I guess I was kind of curious about, and I guess this might just be – this observation, it just might be a trope of the the genre we're watching and the reason. But it just felt a little weird that, like, given the hotel state of being – mostly abandoned like no occupants or anything like that uh druggy behind the desk that like all these people would show up on the same night and i guess that's sort of like the the fate of the movies if you will you know but if you, like, you i mean i guess they, they could have given a little i mean i i'm not even want to say they had to give more explanation as to how they ended up there because i mean everyone i guess has their reasoning to be traveling through it's just interesting they all happen to stop there um but i mean and they, all check 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't even ask you. Had, have you seen the cabin in the woods? Uh, no, I haven't. But I, I've had the twist spoiled for me, which is uh, uh, partially the reason why I just never. <laughs> uh, no, completely understandable. Then I mean, I, I was just curious what you thought because I mean, a big part of that is like, I mean, you mentioned the tropes that this is playing with and like having everyone show up at a hotel. I mean, a lot of people really like the cabin in the woods for what it does with the horror tropes i don't think it comments on them as cleverly or as interestingly as a lot of people where in fact i like the last twist in that and it goes completely bonkers for the last act and that's what i really like whereas here i mean like a lot of this quote-unquote crazier stuff i wasn't as big on whereas i actually did enjoy everyone just coming together in that hotel whereas beginning the cabin in the woods where it's all these young people coming together in this cabin like a traditional horror movie didn't do a lot for me i think that's the biggest compliment I, I can personally give this movie is that I respect the ambition and I'm like I hope even if Drew Goddard doesn't get to like even if he has a low percentage of movies that actually work for me I, I'm perfectly fine with movies giving him like studios giving him 30 million dollars just to make original movies and eventually one of them is going to work for me and because it's clearly the guy has like so many ideas you know he creates all these interesting characters yeah. it's really interesting visually and it's like a it's a complex interesting enough story I just like I just wish it had been organized a little better. But, like, I mean, I think it, it's, it's, there's a lot of fun pieces there to look at, which is why I don't regret going to it. I just wish it had been, like, a more efficient – it had made more efficient use or earned its runtime. Yeah, and, like, yeah, that's the thing, basically. Like, I like I enjoyed the ride. I thought it was – like, I thought the performances were great. And um, they do, like – they they do he does do a lot of fun stuff with it. Like, I think he – there's i mean i guess there's there's no stone unturned you know like mm-hmm. there's nothing in it that really blew me away like other than i mean i really like jeff bridges performance but jeff bridges is a great actor i mean you know that's not exactly uh shocking that he would you know do a really good job with the material but you know it's like um, super creepy when he uh tries to drug cynthia Erivo, and the fact that like you like actually like that guy at the end is uh, i think it's a really big testament to his performance yeah uh-huh yeah exactly it's very um they do they do a really interesting job with it and it's very because like that whole scene's great and like the twist at the end in which he like, like knocks him out with the champagne bottles pretty and then like the whole exchange in the car like she with the gun on him and that whole scene where Dakota Johnson's staring her down through the two way mirror and he's and they're sinking the collapse with the with the nail that that uh, was that, really clever actually yeah yeah that was that was a that was a really fun scene really enjoyed that a lot like. But- I don't know I mean, how they knew exactly when to like uh, start the singing, and and I guess they they knew when to stop it once they he like opened the floorboards. But like, good timing on well fortuitous timing on their part for sure. But that was a very interesting, different, creative sequence. They well they practiced beforehand. We just <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, that was all. I mean, that was all really well done. I really enjoyed that. Um, as a Parks and Rec stand, I really enjoyed uh, the little the Jerry and the. Uh, uh, Ron cameos and uh, yeah, so I mean, like it's a good time. Like if Drew Goddard gets to write direct another thing, like I will, I will go see it because, like, you know, I I enjoyed seeing this, and um, even though like the two people sitting right behind me were like whispering the entire movie, I'm like, what are you God, doing? I'm like, sorry, that sucks. Like <laughs> movie tickets cost like seventeen dollars in LA, and you you like pay like thirty something dollars to sit in here and just talk to each other the whole time. But uh, anyway. A uh, little mini side rant, but uh, yeah, no, like I really enjoyed it um, for what it was, and uh, yeah. Apparently, Drew Goddard's attached to write and direct the X Force movie. I don't know if you're a big fan of the X Men movies. You know, that's going to be like one of the forthcoming things, maybe possibly. Oh, so 
forgive me for asking questions that I could easily Google, but is this uh, is this like an X Force movie that puts together like the X Force from Deadpool two, or is it X Force like actual X Men involved? <laughs> that is like a really important question. That I am guessing it's probably the latter, but I would probably prefer a movie about the former. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, especially if uh, Rob Delaney's involved. Yes, uh, but I don't. I, I don't know. Like it's it's. I guess it's actually pretty early. It's one of those things where it's like on Wikipedia, which is always right, as you know. Uh, it, there, you can, you can. Uh, it says principal photography was uh, scheduled to begin in October 2018, but I mean, it doesn't have its own Wikipedia page yet, so I don't actually know if that is happening uh, yet. You know, this is the same uh, cinematic universe where that has been trying to produce a Gambit movie for like the last 15 years. So uh, who knows? But uh, if Drew Goddard wants to do that, cool. If he has another original idea, uh, even better. And uh, hopefully people get empowered to make these kind of movies and they'll make more money than this one's making. <laughs> Sorry. It, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, which, I mean, you – okay, like you're just – you, you, you must me. really like listening to us talk if you just listen to us talk about that movie <laughs> Which, for half an hour. At least, like, you know, go see movies like this. Like, it's, you know, I mean, people always like to complain about sequels and remakes and stuff, but then when there's like an actual studio original, they don't go see it. It's yeah, like. You're the problem. If, if, if we did it, the studios would fund that stuff. But like, you people like going to see Superman hero movies, which I like too, but still. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like, you know, we. Uh, which, you know, if you like movies, go see movies. And if you like, if you're if you're tired of sequels, go see original movies. I mean, that's the thing. Like, even if you even if you hate it, you know, you had you like you have you have an experience. You know, I mean, it's just if it sounds remotely interesting and you have the disposable income to go see Venom or you know whatever MCU things coming out next, then like you know, go see that too. Like, go see the original stuff too, because I mean, that stuff matters and that um, you know, it's in, it's important. But I will step off the soapbox then. No, so. I second everything Joe just said uh, for anyone. But like as we just said, I mean, uh, I think IMDb probably a little more trustworthy than Wikipedia. X Force isn't even in pre-production. But kind of ironic that we just had that you just went on that whole rant after I said that Drew Goddard's going to make something that's like not original IP at all. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, we'll see. Uh, but yeah, I think we. Uh, pretty well covered this one and i don't know how much longer as of the time people are listening to this it's going to be in theaters at least for the rest of this week so um i don't know go, go ahead and uh oh by the way like at least imdb says x-force it just has josh Brolin, ryan reynolds and zazzy beats listed so not the actual necessarily the x-force from deadpool 2 which mean hopefully they'll find a way to bring those guys around but yeah, yeah. so but as far as bad times at the El royale Go see it, people, if you're looking for stuff to see. I know there's a lot of movies out, and it's like a really overwhelming time of year, especially as I keep complaining on the podcast as I'm having to travel a lot. But, like, uh, I mean, I think it's important to make room for, like, these studio movies. Like, yes, go see your indies uh, for sure. But, like, I mean, go see this stuff too. Joe, uh, where can people find you if they want to read your thoughts on things or follow any other stuff you're doing? Yeah, I mean, if – sad Blake Bortles tweets are your thing. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Joe underscore Morgan. Um, 
it's a dark place on the yeah. timeline. I'm hoping, uh, yeah, baseball season's over, so Joe can no longer uh, rub brave stuff in my face, but our, his Jaguars and my Eagles. Actually, by the time you listen to this, uh, I think that game will have happened, but I'm hoping uh, when you are listening to this, Joe will be sad because the Eagles like <laughs> just demoralized Blake Bortles even more so than it has already happened. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Josh Chernovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y, uh, Letterboxd, uh, same thing. Uh, Joe, thanks again for joining me. I'm, I think we're going to finally get you back here. It's not going to be another three months like it was on our last break. Uh, maybe Wreck-It Ralph 2 uh, breaks the internet or whatever. I know you expressed an interest in that. I like the trailer for that. And maybe something else, if anything else during Oscar season catches your eye, we'll be sure to get you back. So thanks for taking the time today. Uh, of course. You know, always good to be on. So. And uh, everyone else, uh, stay tuned. Uh, we'll be trying to cover everything else as like Oscar season just keeps coming at us. Uh, probably the next thing you might be listening to is something on mid-90s or, I don't know, something else that's out that I happen to watch. So uh, stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.